0: Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com.
1: What do you consider the most valuable thing in your life? Now, I'm not talking about your baseball cards from when you were little. I'm not talking about a family heirloom that's been passed down to you. I'm not talking about your vintage guitar. I'm not even talking about your laptop or your TV or something that's in your house right now that you like. I'm also not talking about your spouse or your kids or your family. You don't own those things. They don't belong to you. And so I wanna ask again, what do you consider to be the most valuable thing that you own? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that the most valuable thing in your life, the most valuable thing that you possess is faith. Now, faith is the belief that what God has revealed about himself in the Bible is true and that the follow and that following him is, is worth it. Faith is the belief that what God has revealed about himself in the Bible is true and that following him is worth it. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says without faith, we would be stranded. We'd never be able to please God because you'll never go all the way with God. You'll never fully commit yourself to the mission of God. You won't obey him in the hard areas. You'll never make it through the dark chapters in your life. Now, maybe you'll remember this as we've been over this the last couple of weeks, but the audience for the book of Hebrews, the people that this was written to, were struggling in the Christian life. They were struggling because life had gotten hard for them. They were being persecuted. They had these difficult questions. They had unanswered prayers. Some of them were barely hanging on. And to those who are having doubts, to those who are struggling in their faith, Hebrews says this big idea. Jesus is better that's the theme of hebrews and i want to remind you today hebrews is about the supremacy of jesus no other book in the bible so powerfully illustrates this in fact there are heroes in the old testament that we've talked about and yet this book shows that those people played a part and yet jesus is far greater than anything that anyone else or anything else would have to offer Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the divine king. Jesus is greater than Moses because while Moses was a servant of God, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is greater than Joshua because he brings greater rest to his people. Jesus is greater a greater priest than Aaron because he's sinless and immortal. And Jesus has shown us that he has a better ministry and he's ushered in a better covenant on better promises with a better sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice himself. And so the writers, uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't give up, have faith. Jesus is better. Go all in on him. So this is the final week of our Hebrews series. It's week seven, and I wanna invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bible. I hope wherever you're watching, maybe with your movement group, with your house church, on your phone, on your computer, maybe checking out the podcast over the lunch hour or something, I hope that you have your Bible there. You'll be able to take some notes, jot some things down that you think that God is, is asking of you or just some things that make you think. We're gonna be in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Let me read this. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail but become strong. This is a popular passage, maybe one that you've heard read before, explained before, or even studied before, and I love the way that it starts out in verse 1 where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The Bible has some incredible metaphors and this is one that talks about getting rid of every weight that slows us down and running the race that's set before us. It's so good because I can picture it. The reason I can picture it is because I have some extra weight that I was carrying this week as I ran on the treadmill and it was miserable, let me tell you. But I think all of us can picture running. All of us have done running. Maybe it was a long time ago in gym class. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was training for a half marathon. But what's interesting is, the author is telling us that the Christian life is like a race or a marathon, and the word for race, agon, it's actually where we get the word agony, and I know what you're thinking, yep, that sounds about right. I've had friends get dehydrated as they've run races or even pass out at the end of a race. I've had friends cramp up in the middle of a race. Races are not easy. Races be difficult. And so this author of Hebrews is giving us some helpful advice on running the race of life as we follow Jesus. The point is the Christian life is hard. And for many of us, this is right where we're at. We're in a difficult time. We're in a difficult chapter of life. We thought Christian life was supposed to be easy. We thought it was supposed to be warm fuzzies and abundant life. And that's not how we feel all the time. And maybe in COVID, it's not how you feel right now. And so I think this morning, I want us to be able to take this from this passage Here are four motivations to keep going when we don't feel like our faith can carry us. Number one is this. Four motivations to keep going. Number one, write this down if you're a note taker. This passage, this verse tells us to consider the witnesses. The first word in verse one is therefore. And we've said before that anytime you see therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? And so in this case, it's pointing us backwards, backwards to chapter 11. My friend Taylor was able to take us through that last week. And chapter 11 is pointing to all of these people who risked it all for God and his promises. In verse 32 of chapter 11, if you want to flip back there, is talking about these people. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and, and, and Samson. It talks about all these amazing heroes from the Old Testament. But here's the thing. Verse 35 summarizes it a different way, and it says that through faith, some people saw God do some amazing things, and and yet 35 gets kind of dark. It says that some of these people didn't see the happy ending that we expected. Others were tortured, refused to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open and whipped. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. I won't go on, but chapter 11 is not all roses and butterflies, which means that some People who are trying to live by faith saw God do incredible things, and some people died. They prayed the same prayers, but God didn't show up, or at least it doesn't seem like it as we read this. And so we tend to read these stories and think that these incredible men and women of faith had everything all figured out. They had no doubts. They had no problems. And all their questions were answered. And yet chapter 12 is kind of telling us something else. Have you ever read the Bible in the Old Testament? Job is called one of the three greatest men of faith that ever lived, and yet he ends the book of Job basically saying, God, this makes no sense. I don't understand. Why? And God tells him this. He basically says, "Uh, excuse me, Job, until you create your own universe from scratch, you're probably not in a place to question me, so let's just leave it in that. If If you're stumped by quantum physics, don't expect that you can master the internal workings of my infinite mind. And so Job died without ever really understanding what God had been up to on earth. But what God did give him and what he gives all of these Old Testament saints and everyone who suffers is a glimpse of his steadfast love and infinite power. He got revelation from God, but he didn't really get the explanation that he wanted. And that's what we get. We, we want to understand and God gives us flashes and glimpses of understanding. But even the best and smartest of us still have unanswered questions. We still doubt what God is doing. We still struggle in the department of faith. And so we're told to consider the witnesses who have run the race and who are now on the sidelines saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's worth it. What's the first way that we can motivate ourselves to keep going? Consider the witnesses. Number two, we're told this, to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. In the the original Greek here, this word means look or really look away. See, when I mow my yard, if I'm, if I'm looking down and trying to make sure I get my line straight and I'm on the mower, I'm going to get to the end of that row and it's going to go like this. But if I keep my eyes on the end of the yard and I say, I want to have a straight row and I go right toward that, that's, that's how I'm going to be able to, to, to stay on the straight and narrow. The author here is saying sort of the same principle. When you look into the distance, it's not something that you want to look around and look at what's going on, but you're looking out of your pain, out of your doubts, out of your misery, out of the darkness, and you're, you're looking at two things about Jesus. In fact, you can, you can see those here. You're looking at his promises. In fact, this verse says we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or the completer of our faith. We're told that in verse two, he's the author, he's the perfecter, he's the completer. He's the one who started this process and the one who will finish this process. And the, the cross that Jesus died on shows us how much he loves us because he invested in us. When you make a real estate deal, when you go to buy a house, you have to put down some earnest money. You have to put down enough money that they know that you won't jump out of the deal. You have to put down maybe sometimes thousands of dollars, because you could put down a hundred and say, oh, I'd rather lose that money, but nobody's going to walk away from a couple thousand dollars usually. And so Jesus put down the earnest money in this relationship, in this process, and he wants you to look to his promise because he gave his life, he gave his blood he gave his all and he gave himself on the cross. The cross shows us how committed to us God is and how committed his son Jesus is. He won't leave us. We're going to skip ahead of the rest of verse 2, but we're told to look ahead, look out of our misery, out of our pain, out of our doubts, to look to his promise, to him as the perfecter, and we look to his experience. I mean, consider the hostility against Jesus that he faced in his life. Sometimes I listen to these critiques of Christians and And people say things like, man, I don't even know how these Christians can be so judgmental. And and you hear what's said about us and you wonder if you're doing the right thing or is it wrong to be a Christian because nobody likes Christians anymore. And then I remember the words of Jesus in John 16 where he said, they hated me and they'll hate you too. In fact, you should be wary if all men speak well of you. Jesus' crucifixion is the perfect explanation of this. It's a joint project between the government officials Pilate, the religious authorities, the Pharisees, the educated elite, the Sadducees, and the mainstream media, a combo of all of the above by the political right and left. And we can expect the same sort of treatment. The world is not going to value us. The world is not going to understand us because it did not understand Jesus. In fact, when you're not getting the reaction from the world that Jesus got, you should be asking, am I doing something wrong? Am I living my life right? Jesus is saying, Verse four here, this author is saying, at least you haven't died yet, so be encouraged. The author says, look away to Jesus because the cross shows you his investment. The cross shows you his love for you. And this This weekend, this Sunday, whenever, wherever you're watching this, we need to know that, that if we're about to give up, we don't need to give up because Jesus has invested in us. Jesus loves us and Jesus is pointing our experience to his experience. He's saying, keep going, keep moving in faith. We can be encouraged because of these witnesses, right? We, we know that we're supposed to consider the witnesses. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. The third thing that we should know, we see in verse five, it says this And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse 11 says this. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So we consider the witnesses that are cheering us on that have gone before us. We look to Jesus. We look beyond where we are out of the pain and suffering, and we trust the fatherly sovereignty of God. Number three, trust the fatherly sovereignty of God. There's actually two metaphors at work in these verses I shared on parenting. The first metaphor is that of a coach, and I know that most of us have been a coach or have played for a coach, we've played sports. See, the word trained, that that it's in verse 11, actually comes from the word gymnazo, which is where we'd get our word gymnasium, or where training takes place, and there's a sense in in which God is asking in your life, God is working like a coach. The way that you grow a muscle is by breaking it down, but after you break it down, your body rebuilds it stronger, and so here's the thing. When your faith and your life is being worked out, you don't necessarily feel stronger in that moment, and yet, what God is doing is you are getting stronger. The muscle of your faith will never grow if it's not tested and broken down. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes we go through things and we think, what are you doing here, God? Because I don't, I don't get this. And yet, God is, is putting things into our life that will break down our muscles and make us stronger. Michael Phelps, the famous Olympic swimmer, once had a coach who purposely stepped on his goggles before a race so that in the middle of that race, water would, would leak in and he would have to learn to basically swim and with his counts and swim blind, as they call it, to get to the wall because he knew that would make him better in the long run. He would know to trust his instincts. He would know to swim with faith. God's doing the same thing in our lives. Just because it's not your plan, just because it's not what you wanted to happen, doesn't mean it's not good for you. You've got a good coach who is at work in all things. And some of us need to hear this this morning. The pain in your life right now, the doubts in your life right now, the way that your faith is struggling right now, the things you're going through is God's plan in your life. God is using your life to mold you. God is using your life to mold you into his image, to increase your faith and your delight in him. He's tearing you down in your strength so he can rebuild you in his strength. Leads to the second metaphor we see working in these verses, and it's the word used for discipline. In verse 5, It's a different one than the one that's used in verse 11. It's the word paedia, which we we get the word pediatry, which has to do with how a good father disciplines a child. A good parent disciplines his child for wrongdoing, not to pay them back for wrongdoing, but to form your character. When you discipline your children, at least I hope this is the case, You are not trying to avenge the wrong that they did, right? You're not saying, I'm going to get you back for spilling that milk, and you're not freaking out on your kids. No, you're saying, hey, next time, let me pour the milk, or hey, what's going on here, buddy, right? You're talking to your kids, but what you're doing, you're doing in love. You might punish them or provide some sort of structure that in a way wounds them in the moment, but your goal is not retribution, It's the building of character, and so in verses 8, 9, and 10, the author says that no parent disciplines perfectly. Sometimes we're more angered about what's going on than than just thinking that the child has inconvenienced us. Sometimes we're not concerned about their character. We're just mad in the moment, but God is the perfect parent. God is the perfect father, and so his anger toward his children is never an anger of justice It's the discipline of love because listen to this, the gospel is that God paid back Jesus 100% for our sin. We're never paying the price for the wrong things we've done. If you're a Christian, every ounce of punishment that should happen because of your sin was taken on the cross by Jesus when he paid the price that you should have to pay. Yes, we have sin in our lives. Yes, justice should be coming to us. But Jesus stepped in and said, I'll pick up the bill. I'll take that on my back. I'll take that to the cross and I will die on the cross and pay the price for them. And when one person has paid the price, someone else doesn't have to pay the price. Imagine if you're out to eat with your friends, and one of them says, hey, I'll take the bill, and, and somebody swipes on their card and pays for the whole table, and then the waiter brings the, the same bill to everyone and says, you need to pay, you need to pay, you need to pay. You'd say, no, 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 no that person already paid for it. I'm grateful for that, but that person already paid for it. See, if if God has already paid, then no more payment has to take place, and yet there are believers who would say this. They'd say, oh, I think God's paying me back for the wrong things I've done, but God doesn't have to pay back. God doesn't have to curse you because of something that happened many years ago. Nothing is left in your life. Nothing needs to happen other than the mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus. Let me try to distinguish something that people often get confused here, something that I think can be really confusing. There are punishments There are discipline and there are consequences. See, punishment or even judgment means you're being paid back for the wrong things you've done. That can happen in life. That can happen at some point. If the code of justice has been broken, then someone has to pay. And sometimes we see that happening in in the legal system. Sometimes we see discipline happening, which is the way that character is molded. It might involve pain, but the goal is not retribution. The goal is formation. And sometimes we see consequences taking place. See, these are just natural results from bad decisions, right? Sometimes there are, are people who don't plan to have a family, but because of the way they've lived their life that someone ends up pregnant. That's not a punishment per se. That's just biology happening, right? Those are consequences to action. Sometimes people cheat and get kicked out of school. Sometimes people do sloppy work and they lose their job. Those are just natural consequences. And God can use consequences as discipline in your life, but technically we should think of them differently. See, believers suffer consequences for their sin, and sometimes God uses those to discipline us, but we never suffer punishment because Jesus was punished fully in our place, and so we're never feeling the full effects of our sin in that way. God is molding our character in love, but not punishing us in judgment. I have a friend who a couple of years ago messed up and made some terrible mistakes and As he grew through that, we talked about the bitter consequences. We talked about how his relationships were permanently changed and damaged and trust had been destroyed and broken. But he said that suffering those natural consequences was never as painful as the ultimate consequence of his sin that Jesus had absorbed. Whatever you think you're going through on this world is not even a, a sliver of what we actually deserve, what the actual pain and consequences we should face because of our sin it just means that we're always living in the grace of god god is committed to growing us up in him and a lot of times he will use pain he will allow pain and disappointment to mature us and grow us some of us think that our, our life story the christian life is just this precious moments those little figurines that your grandma used to have right that that god is a genie in a bottle we can rub and he'll just bless us whenever We want something, and yet the reality is we get angry when that doesn't happen. But here's the truth. God has not forgotten us. God has not quit on us. God has not given up on us. God's love is a fatherly love. And the author of Hebrews, as he closes this book, is looking back over this book, looking back over the struggles and doubts and lack of faith of the people reading this. And he's saying, God is your father and he loves you. Sometimes that may feel like a tough love. Sometimes that might feel like a love that forges our character and grows us into maturity. See, I've heard it said that the difference between mothers and fathers is this. Now, this is an oversimplification. I'm not trying to get in trouble today, but, but some people have said that mothers show their affection by pulling kids close, right? The, the picture we think of is, is us getting hurt and our mom hugging us and holding us tight, and fathers show affection by pushing their kids out. See, when our kids get hurt for the most part, they're not coming to me because I'm like, ah, oh, you're fine, rub some dirt on it and go play, right? But if they come to mom, she'll say, oh, come here, let me let me put a Band-Aid on it, right? We, we love different ways. Kristen pulls them close, and I'm the dad that's at the pool throwing them in and saying, learn to swim, right? It doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. It's just the difference of how we show love. One shows tenderness in pain, and the other shows creating situations to grow them up. And the reality is that both are love, and God does both as he disciplines us and as he forms our character and as he loves us in our lives. God is disciplining us as his sons and daughters, So I wanna ask this morning, do you trust in all things that God is disciplining you as a son or a daughter? Do you trust that an all-knowing, all-powerful God is in control of all things and using them for your good? We need to get to that place. The writer says it's important to develop our faith because it means that in everything, every difficult situation, every doubt, every frustration, every inconvenience, every disappointment, every broken heart, and every tragedy, we can know that God is at work developing our character and forging our character as he moves us ahead. Now let's get back to that phrase that we skipped in verse two a while ago. We said today that we're looking at four ways to help our faith When we're discouraged, we said we want to consider the witnesses before us and around us. We said that we want to look to Jesus and look beyond the pain that we're in now. We said that we want to trust the fatherly sovereignty of God. Here's the final one, the final thing we need to do to help our faith in difficult times and maybe even right now in your life. We need to focus on the joy. Verse two, the end of it there says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. It's talking about Jesus and it's talking about when he stepped in and took our punishment and gave his life on the cross so that we could know God, so that we could have relationship with God, so that we could be with him for eternity. And so what was it that held Jesus to the cross? Was it the nails? No, he was more powerful than that he raised the dead, calmed storms and walked through walls. He could have pulled those nails out really quickly and gotten off. What was it that held him to the cross? Well, according to verse 2, it's the joy that waited on the other side of that experience, the joy of what. Well, think about it. What would he obtain after the cross that he wouldn't have before? The approval of God? He already had that. The kingship of the universe? He already had that, and Scripture tells us that was already his. The the adoration of angels? No, no, no. They've been singing God's praises for eternity, and the one thing that he would have after the cross that he didn't have before was you. Was you and I. He was doing this to save you. We were his inheritance. For the joy of reconciling you and I to himself, Jesus endured the cross, If Christ felt that way about you, doesn't that make you long to see him? Doesn't that make you want to know his love? Doesn't that make you want to rest in his love and be in relationship with him and say, Lord, I'm yours and you're mine. That's a love that I want to know. And so this author tells us, look to Jesus for joy. Don't look to the things of this world that will let you down and the things of this world that don't choose you and the things of this world that don't really matter. Look to the one who gave up everything so that your redemption so that your story, so that your love could be his joy. If this is the God who gave it all up to save you, doesn't that empower you to give up what you have for him, to give up everything? Doesn't it make you willing to suffer for his sake, to live by faith, to live in this life and have questions and doubts and not know what's going on, but to keep moving in faith in the name of Jesus? When you were lost, Jesus made your rescue his joy. And if that were true, we need to make the rescue of others who are in the same condition our joy. People of faith are driven. The biggest difference by religious people and those transformed by the gospel is that religious people are duty driven. Sometimes they dread tasks and the days and the weeks and what else is going to make me feel guilty. What else do I have to do? But people who have been transformed by the gospel are driven by the joy of knowing and pleasing the one who gave up everything for them because they're driven by the love of Jesus and the joy of rescuing others just as he rescued them. Why is it that you should give up your possessions, your time, your calendar, and your lives to see people reached and to pass on that joy? Well, simply put, because Jesus did the same thing for you. See, if you've taken a a vow of poverty and said that you won't enjoy nice things, you can give those things away and you you can find joy in that. But eventually you'll realize there's only joy in working for Jesus. See, our definition of sacrifice is this, giving up something you love for something that you love even more. This week, Kristen, my wife, and I were talking about dreams, and someday she's always wanted to to own a horse, but she probably never will because we've prioritized some other things, uh, our our lifestyle, the the life of ministry we feel called to, and taking care of our kids, and paying for college, and some other things, and so she knows that she might never own a, a horse, and that's fine. That's a sacrifice she's willing to make as we walk toward Jesus and his calling in our lives. And we're not just doing that out of, out of some empty obligation or because it will make us look good. We're doing that because we're driven by what Jesus did on the cross. See, every penny that, that, that I've ever given away, every penny that you can give away, you, you can love living that life and you can love giving your money away because you'll love the idea knowing that it's going to please your heavenly father, knowing that it's going toward his church and toward a lifestyle that, that honors him. And so this verse says in verse 1, I already read it, but it says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the honest truth. Sin weighs us down, and sin distracts us, and sin keeps us from following Jesus. The Christian experience is not just this, oh, what do I have to give up to stop feeling so bad? What do I have to stop doing so that people think I can follow Jesus? No, we're asking this question. What keeps me from knowing Jesus? What keeps me from pleasing Jesus? What keeps me from rescuing the lost? What dilutes my life from the mission? I mean, think of a runner or swimmer as we've already talked about. Think about the things that slow them down. They get rid of all that body fat. They they shave their body hair. It's not illegal to swim in the Olympics with a with a full beard and with jeans on, but the reality is it's just not intelligent. And so people who realize what Jesus has done for them are saying, I'm going to get rid of money. I'm going to get rid of possessions. I'm going to get rid of deadweight relationships. And I'm just going to run after Jesus. And I'm going to speak joy to the world. And I'm going to make sure that I'm saving and rescuing as many people as I can. And I don't want to be distracted by anything else. Faith is living right now in a way that will matter 100 years from now. And I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings today, but no one's going to remember that you got a PS5 100 years from now. But someone may know that you shared your faith 100 years from now because that person will share their faith with someone else who will share it with someone else who will share their faith with their kids and start a legacy of the gospel And so by faith, we are called to live in a way that will matter for eternity and will matter 100 years from now. Faith is what helps regular people look back at life and say, Christ is better and the mission is worth it. Is there an explanation for your life right now? Is there an explanation for the way that you're living? Is there an explanation for the things that you're doing? Because faith in Jesus has called us to do great things, to forgive someone who has hurt you, to get back up after you fall, to live a life of simplicity, to get rid of possessions, to live a life where you don't try to be the answer. You don't point people to yourself, but you point them to the answer. You point them to Jesus. You don't try to be relationally enough or financially enough. No, you readily admit that Jesus is the answer and that your joy and your drive and your mission comes from him. When your faith feels empty, when your faith feels gone, when you're feeling discouraged, when you feel like you don't have answers. Hebrews 12 12 in this passage tells us this, consider the witnesses, look to Jesus, trust the fatherly sovereignty of God and focus on the joy. Here's our big idea and I'll close with this. When you're frustrated, keep going in faith and trust that God's discipline is developing your character. Some of us are frustrated. Some of us don't know what the next few weeks or months hold, but I want you to know to keep going and listen to this advice. Because God has put down an earnest payment. God has put down his investment. He gave his son Jesus so that your life could be changed, so that you could live with joy and so you could have the the faith to keep going for one more day and one more day to live for him and honor him. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this encouragement. Lord, I pray that we will, even when we're battered and bruised, even when we've had a rough season, Lord, keep pushing and going in faith. Lord, and looking at the examples you've given us and knowing that Jesus is the cure that will make it all better. Lord, help us to keep moving in faith. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.